Today we conclude our series on breaking the chains that bind us. And we turn this morning to Psalm 32, which was one of the psalms that David wrote, likely after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah killed in battle. And he describes what God had done for him to forgive him and to cleanse him, and indeed to break the chains of guilt in his life. Psalm 32, we begin reading at the first verse. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sins, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word and thankful that you are a God who cleanses, you are a God who forgives. You are a God who breaks the chains of guilt in our lives. And Father, as we look at the life of David in this psalm and how he experienced the very depths of sin and guilt, and yet you forgave him, you cleansed him. Lord, it is at the cross, as we have sung this morning, where we find that forgiveness. Lord, all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And we know that the wages of sin is death, but we rejoice today that the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, for we pray in his name. Amen. Some years ago, a man wrote the following letter to the IRS. He said, I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. Enclosed, find a check for $50. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. If you are looking to find freedom from guilt, I can assure you that this is not the way that 
you will find that freedom. True freedom from guilt comes as we follow God's remedy. And that remedy is illustrated so clearly in this psalm as David writes about his experience of finding forgiveness. He begins the psalm by saying, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so David understood what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be cleansed, what it means to have that guilt removed, to have our sin washed away. So how do we break the chains of guilt? Notice, first of all, we break the chains of guilt when we understand the cause of guilt. What is it that brings guilt into our lives? One of the reasons why we experience guilt is because we listen to Satan's lie. We feel guilty when we have no scriptural reason for guilt. In other words, there is such a thing as what we would call a false guilt, and it causes us needless pain. Sometimes we feel guilty for something that someone else has done. And I believe parents can really understand that. How many times have you as a parent say, what did I do wrong to make my child do this? Huh? <laughs> Ever been there as a parent? Piling guilt on ourselves, beating ourselves up for something that our children have done. I remember hearing Josh McDowell one time. And he made this interesting distinction. He says, as parents, we are responsible to our children, but we are not responsible for our children. And he went on to explain that. He says, we are responsible to our children to teach them and to train them the truths of God's Word. But every time they choose to go the other way, you can't point a finger at mom and dad. Sometimes we take too much blame for something our children have done, and we say, oh, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And we start beating ourselves up. Parents, I'm sure you can identify with that. that that's a false guilt. Or sometimes we feel guilty if we aren't always doing something. And somehow we've swallowed the philosophy that a person of value is one who is physically and emotionally exhausted from doing something for others. Never learn to relax, never learn to be refreshed, and if we do, we feel guilty. Now, there was a book that was written back in the 70s with this title, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And some of you can probably identify with that. That's a false guilt. At other times we feel guilty because of something we've done in the past, something that we have confessed, something that has been forgiven, something that has been washed away, and then the accuser of the brethren, Satan comes in and he points his finger at us, and he reminds us of something we've done years ago that is under the blood. That's another kind of false guilt. But then there are other times, and this is what David writes about in this psalm, there are other times when we experience guilt for a very good reason. 
Our conscience bothers us because we have sinned. We have broken God's commands. We have rebelled against Him in one way or another. And David describes this in the first two verses. Notice the words that he uses to describe what he did. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he uses four different words there. The words transgression, the word sin, the word iniquity, and the word deceit. And all four of those words describe what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah. The word transgression carries the idea of a revolt or rebellion. And sometimes it is translated with the word trespass. And that pictures a willful crossing of the line that God has established. You deer hunters probably are aware of that picture, aren't you? Trespassing. I hope you didn't trespass when you were hunting this year. Going across the line, going to someone else's property, that's a transgression. That's a trespass. And if you did, uh, we will... I give you absolution after the service if you confess your, your sins. The word sin carries the idea of missing the mark, falling short of the target. And maybe if you were a bow hunter, you were practicing by shooting at a target. Andrew was doing that in the backyard, and he hit, he hit, the, hit the target every time. I was waiting for him to fall short so I could say, that's a sin. You missed the mark. <laughs> Hit the target every time, little rascal. And then the word iniquity comes from a word that means to be warped or twisted. And so in all of these, and what David did, he had crossed the line. He had missed the mark. He had acted in a way that was morally twisted. And he did it deceitfully. Remember the story how he saw Bathsheba? from his rooftop, and he committed adultery with her. And then he had her husband Uriah killed in battle, and then he married her shortly thereafter to make it look as if the child that was fathered by him was actually after he married Bathsheba rather than before. How tricky. How deceitful. And that's why David mentions that word deceit in verse 2. In whose spirit there was no deceit, in his spirit there was deceit. Willfully crossing the line, falling short of the target, acting in a way that was morally twisted, and trying to hide it. And so David experienced guilt because he was guilty. He had sinned against a holy God and he needed forgiveness. Many years ago, there was a missionary conference in one of our southern churches, and the challenge was given to give to the work of missions. And there were several poor people in that congregation, and so they would lay aside a hen or a, a cow or a lamb or a calf, and then when they, when they sold it, they would bring the money and give it to, to missions. 
There was one, one, one man in this congregation who promised that he was going to give a calf to the Lord and once he sold it. But boy, I'll tell you, as time went on, the prices of meat went up. And he started thinking, boy, I'm not sure I can afford this. And he reasoned to himself, he said, even the rich wouldn't give that much. And so he refused to fulfill the promise he had made to God. Well, one Sunday afternoon, they were having a service. And they were singing the hymn, The Half Has Never Yet Been Told. And he comes over the hill and he hears this singing and his guilty conscience is bothering him and he runs into the congregation. He says, stop singing about it. I'll bring the money for missions tomorrow. Well, instead of the half has never yet been told, he thought they were singing the calf has never yet been sold. He felt guilty because he was. He had made a promise to God that he didn't want to keep. So to break the chains of guilt, we need to understand the cause of guilt. Guilt comes when we have sinned against God. Secondly, we break the chains of guilt when we are tired of the consequences of guilt. You think about David's reason for writing this psalm. He, it really highlights how stubborn he was, how unwilling he was to bring his sin to God. It took at least nine months before he was willing to confess his sin. Because you know the story. It was after the child was born that Nathan the prophet came to David. And he told that story about that little parable about the man who had all of these lambs and he went and stole it from one who had only one lamb. And and David said, that man ought to die. And Nathan stuck his finger in David's face and said, you are the man. You are the one. It wasn't until after the child was born that David came to that place. Where he finally acknowledged his sin. For a, so for at least nine months during the time that that child was in the womb and then the child was finally born, during that time he was hiding his sin. What was it like during that time? Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Doesn't describe a very fun time, does it? A miserable time. The consequences of guilt. There were emotional consequences for David. His guilty conscience plagued him day and night, he says. He couldn't couldn't get away from his relentless accuser. And he discovered, as one man said, that the greatest preacher in the world is the conscience because you can't get away from it. You don't have to come here and listen to me. You can stay away, but you can't get away from your conscience. Day and night, day and night, couldn't get away from it. I believe there were physical consequences of his sin. He speaks of his bones 
wasting away. He talks about being sapped of his strength. And when you refuse to deal with guilt, there are physical consequences to that. And then the spiritual consequences. Obviously, God's hand was heavy upon him. The conviction of sin was running very deep in David's life. And yet he went month after month after month after month after month until finally he had had it. It was time to deal with his sin, tired of the consequences of sin. But then thirdly, we break the chains of guilt when we accept the cure for guilt. If we are experiencing the pain of guilt like David did, the answer is not to try to ignore it, hoping it'll go away, that within time you'll, you'll, you'll feel better. Uh, David tried that and he was miserable. If we are going to experience freedom from guilt, we need to confess it. And notice what David said in verse 5. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Adultery forgiven. Murder forgiven. Deceitfulness forgiven. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of the sacrifice that He made. Because of the graciousness of God. This guilty man came confessing his sin. And God forgave him. I love the words that David uses to describe what God did. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven here means to lift, to carry, or to take away. And it pictures that how our sins, though with us, are, are, are removed from us. They're gone. Like, like, like the psalmist says, as far as the east right, <laughs> is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like the prophet Micah, he talks about our sins being drowned in the depths of the sea. Removed from us, taken away. Or how about the Day of Atonement, when those two goats were brought before the priest? One of them was sacrificed, a clear picture of the sacrifice of Jesus, and then the priest would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat, confessing the sins of the nation. And then the goat would go off, into the wilderness and the people would watch that picturing our sins being gone taken away isn't that a beautiful picture no wonder David says how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven taken away when I was a kid at Bible camp, we used to sing, Gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free, and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, yes, that's good enough for me. 
I shall praise eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. Oh, what freedom, huh? Oh, what freedom from guilt when our sins are gone. He uses another word there in in verse 2. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute is a, is, it's a bookkeeping term. Uh, some translations uh, 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 translate it this way. Blessed is the one whom the Lord does not count sins against them. So if you're a bookkeeper, you keep record. You, you put various numbers and various accounts because you want to remember them. God does not keep that record of sins and that, that record is gone as As another psalmist, Psalm 130 writes, If you kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But there is what? There is forgiveness with you. What would your record be if God kept a record of your sins? You stood before a holy God. And He has recorded in that book all the sins that you've committed from the time you were born to today. Could you stand? Well, it's easy to look at David and say, what's wrong with you? Adultery, murder, deceitfulness? Could you stand before God? I couldn't. But because of Jesus, I can. Because my debt has been paid for. Jesus took my sin to the cross. He died in my place. He became my substitute. And I can say with David today, Oh, how blessed it is that my transgression is forgiven, that my sin has been covered, that God does not count against me that which I have done in violation of His commands. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I wonder, have you experienced that forgiveness today? Do you understand what David is describing here, where he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. You took away. You sent away all my sin. When I was in about ninth grade, I know you'll find this hard to to believe, but I did a stupid thing. My wife says, yeah, I can understand that. I wanted to back the car out of the garage because we were going to be going to, to church. And I had a friend with me who was sitting in the car and put it in gear and kind of goosed it coming out because I didn't think there was anything behind me. And there was. So I backed right into my brother's Roadrunner, 1971 Roadrunner. I think Rick owned it at that time. 383 four-barrel. Really a nice car. And I'll tell you what, I thought, oh my goodness, I am in trouble. And I got out of the car, the bumper of my dad's car wasn't too bad, but I hit the front corner of the roadrunner, and it didn't look very good. 
And so I had to go and tell my dad what had happened. Couldn't hide that one. And I told him, I said, I didn't think there was any car there, and I backed right into the roadrunner. Well, obviously the roadrunner needed to get fixed, and so brought it to the repair shop, and our insurance man said, uh, you report that, it's going to go on your record, why don't you just pay for it? So, all right, I thought it cost my dad several hundred dollars. And when we went to pick up the car, they said, no charge. And my dad said, what do you mean, no charge? Our insurance man had paid for the repair. Now, that was something I should have paid for. That was my fault. But he paid for it. In full. No cost. No charge to us. Jesus paid it all, didn't he? He took all of our sins and he nailed them to the cross. Paid in full. When Jesus died, he said, It is finished. Nothing you could ever add nor have to add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that's why we can say today how blessed it is to be forgiven because of Jesus. Don't hide it. Don't, don't do what David did. It's a miserable thing to carry that guilt. Bring it to Jesus today. And His promise is sure. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. And He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's His promise. We can stand on that word and rejoice this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cleansing blood that you shed for us on the cross. And thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Lord, thank you for the good news of the cross. And Lord, thank you that the, the chains of, of guilt can be broken today. As we come to you honestly confessing our sin. Thank you for your promise, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And I pray that we would be able today to go on our way rejoicing. Rejoicing in your promise of forgiveness. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.